0: Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back on an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and my co-host I'm Jason Harris. I'm a filmmaker,
1: comedian, and chief rocker. I don't even know what that is <laughs> you know that you know <laughs> is that a wrestler a clue. no, it's an old old school rap song uh lord uh lords of uh the underground maybe lords of it Look- sounds right yeah yeah it's lords of some lords of. They're it's good you okay guys should listen all right i'm here to educate thank you for as that. long as rock in a chief type way yes like a chieftain often would is this lyrics
0: from the song perhaps no i mean no, maybe just, i'll are just making it. it up yeah
1: all right i just want people to know if they want to rock I'll be their chief. Okay.
0: So in this second season of Awesome Movie Year, we're looking back at the films of 2007. It was
1: Lords of the Underground.
0: Oh, did you just look it up? I mean, it's the third single release
1: from their debut album, Here Come the Lords. Anyway, I told you all this this already. This is good for
0: our old school hip hop podcast. Chief Raka. Okay, so actually what we're talking about in this episode is not Chief Raka or the Lords of the Underground, but rather our pick for... Documentary film from 2007, Seth Gordon's "The King of Kong." Yes, a fistful of quarters. Which is not like. Where did that subtitle come from? I see that everywhere, and yet watching the movie yesterday, it's nowhere in the actual movie. Hmm. I think it was added for like marketing purposes. Yeah, later but on. really,
1: they none of them used any quarters, and
0: I uh, think there was one point where I saw one of the players pick up a quarter during the the tournament at the fun spot in New Hampshire. Yeah. All right. So that's not a fist. No, it was not a fist. Unless it's
1: a very small hand. Yeah, it
0: was just it was just like a finger full of quarters. I guess if you have a tiny
1: hand and you have one quarter, that could be your fist.
0: Right. So no, it's obviously a play on a fistful of dollars, the the Western because it's a showdown in this movie between the two players.
1: I imagine if you
0: have tiny hands,
1: you're probably not that good at Donkey Kong on the arcade. No. Anyway, because you probably have tiny arms
0: and you need you need that range of motion. Yeah. You need the range of motion of Donkey Kong. You're, you're an expert on how to play Donkey Kong. <laughs> well, um, but no, the experts are Billy Mitchell and Steve Wiebe, the stars of this documentary, who are competing for the title of the Donkey Kong uh, world record.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, who knew that a documentary about two guys playing a video game from the 1980s that came out in 2007 would be so riveting at the time.
0: And it is riveting. Um, And it was very well received when it came out. It premiered at the 2007 Slamdance Film Festival uh, and went on to play Tribeca, South by Southwest, and True False, which is a very prestigious documentary film festival, and a bunch of other smaller festivals. So it was huge on the festival circuit in 2007. It made $790,128 at the box office. Which is not a huge number, but it's pretty good for a niche documentary. Like you were saying, who would have thought this movie about two guys playing an arcade game from the 1980s would really generate that much interest at all? So the fact that it uh, that it made that much money at the box office is is kind of impressive. Um, and it was very, very well reviewed. Uh, some reviews that, uh, that I noted down, Robert Wolonski in The Village Voice said, Ostensibly about Billy Mitchell, who began his reign at Do- as Donkey Kong world champ in 1982, King of Kong is as much about the perils of hubris and the, prince of, and the price of heartbreak. Like the trailer says, it's about a loser who wants to be a winner and a winner who refuses to lose and comes off looking like an ass. How Mitchell screws Weeby and to what level he's willing to stoop, that's at the heart of The King of Kong, which would play like dark comedy where there are not such honest-to-God cruelty at its core.
1: Yeah, it is really funny, though. It's a funny film. It is a Uh, funny film. But there is a lot of heartbreak in there.
0: Yeah, I I, at times watching it this time thought it maybe was too funny, like inappropriately funny. Uh, But we thought
1: they were picking on on the Weebster.
0: Uh, No, not on him, but just kind of the a lot of the supporting secondary characters, I guess.
1: I could see that, but really, he just let the camera go. It felt like.
0: Yeah, know. I think that's true. Uh, we can talk about this more in detail. Yeah, but uh, in the next that segment, that but review,
1: what's interesting in there that you know, if we're talking about a fistful of dollars and there are a fistful of quarters, yes, the the Western, a loser who w- wants to win and a winner who refuses right. to lose. Yes, yes, finally, the showdown at the fun spot. That
0: is how they. I mean, in the movie, they play it up. The characters. I mean, the uh, the final tournament in the movie that's uh, the people competing for the Guinness record. I think uh, the, the referee guy, Walter Day, calls it a showdown in Dodge City or something yeah. like that. So they're playing it up too. the people in the movie, the, the whole Western theme. Wesley Morris in the Boston Globe said, you might expect to see this presented as a jokey sketch from a troop of improv players, but director Seth Gordon captures it all with finesse and shrewdly plays it as comic melodrama. He shot and edited the movie himself, and rather than mock these guys, this world is mostly male. He feels for them. He even treats the arcade game as a true sport and treats the band of nerds with respect.
1: Yeah, probably the only time in Seth's Gordon, Seth Gordon's career that the word finesse will ever yes, be used again. Yes. As we'll talk about later in the in the uh, what happened to these guys section. Right, he, yeah, uh,
0: that is possibly the most disappointing thing uh, <laughs> looking at this movie. But we, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Um, but I agree this this shows a lot of finesse. And even, even if I did think at times it was, it was too funny, or it was pushing a little too hard in the mockery, I think overall he constructs it very well. Um, and, uh, Ann Hornaday in the Washington post. So it was mostly well-reviewed, but I wanted to find a negative review. So Ann Hornaday in the Washington post was not a fan. Uh, she says, is there anything more tiresome than watching people play video games? Seth Gordon's documentary, The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters, answers that question with a decisive yes, watching a movie about people playing video games. It's a depressing little kingdom, even when Gordon tries desperately to goose the drama with the requisite Eye of the Tiger riffs and some junior high-level palace intrigue. The King of Kong suggests that the old saw about academia stands true for the insular world of video games. The competition is so vicious because the stakes are so low. A (laughs) Hornaday.
1: Yeah, I'm talking to you, Today, I got a bone to pick with you. And I don't even have to pick it with you. Like, I don't like watching people play video games per se, but we right. know
0: it's a huge
1: industry at this point. Sure, in time sure. With Twitch and everything. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, this was obviously written in 2007 before that blew up to that level.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've done TV specials. They've done, obviously, the billion-dollar Twitch sale to Amazon. There's that uh, There's that new, I think it's a PlayStation or an Xbox, uh uh, version or that of twitch that's going to be competing with it and they just sign that uh major x ex, x ex, uh, extreme gamer e-gamer yeah I, I don't know much about the gaming no <laughs> no no but no. i do know that there's a lot of people who uh who quite enjoy watching it and i thought uh, i disagree with her we're not really watching the uh, the playing of the video games although some of that is interesting especially in the beginning with steve Wiebe's like mathematical right looping yeah and whatnot but uh also the emotional investment that you have in all these characters because of what these games mean to them that that is interesting and the lower the stakes the more interesting
0: right yeah i i agree with you i mean i wanted to throw this in here just to show that that it wasn't universally acclaimed necessarily but I think everything that you say is right. It's really not a movie about watching people play video games. It's not like watching something on Twitch, which I also, I don't understand the appeal of at all, even though it's, of course, a huge industry.
1: Dave, Dave Rosen, producer uh, uh, and featured member at his uh, gym this month. <laughs> it's good to mention <laughs> it's that. It's true. He's the superstar gym member there. <laughs> yeah. How much weight have you lost since you started at the gym? Dave? Uh, I just hit 90 wow that's yeah. good
2: i feel even fatter uh dave you ever watch people play the video games no just friends over beer that that's it i will not watch strangers play video games no no what do you watch
0: them play golden tea <laughs> <laughs> big buck uh, hunter you watch the big you buck are really hunter? That, that, that's actually touch. pretty fun to watch with that uh, <laughs> yeah i i remember i'm not a video gamer at all but i remember when i was uh like 11 or 12 and all of my friends were really into video games and i would spend a long time watching them play video games, not enjoying it at all, but because that was what they were doing and I wasn't playing. I just had to sit there. So what games were they playing? I mean, you know, whatever Nintendo or Sega Genesis games were out at the time altered beast or super Mario, or I don't even remember. Cause I didn't care. What about at the arcade? I was never an arcade person. Were you an arcade person? I liked
1: arcades actually, but I gravitated more towards uh ski ball and pinball. And as our listeners might be aware we are uh, Las Vegas residents, and we have the Pinball Hall of Fame out here, which is yeah. a great place to go. Amazing. But um, the one that the hottest games, you know, when I was growing up, that I did play in, like, the arcades, were, like, Street Fighter II, Mortal Kombat. Um, and, and, you know, while we're on Mortal Kombat, let me bring this up, Josh. Uh, Johnny Cage, he used to do this split punch where he'd do a split, and then he'd punch a guy in the groin, his opponent. But if he was fighting Sonya, he'd punch her in the groin and it wouldn't affect her. And I feel like that's got to be anatomically incorrect. I think if you punch anyone in the groin, man or woman, it's going to hurt. Yeah,
0: well, you punch anyone anywhere with enough force, it's going to (laughs) hurt. Right. So
1: Mortal Kombat, mistake. And uh, the other big one was NBA Jam, which I liked a lot. I like playing NBA Jam.
0: Yeah, I just was not a video gamer. And I think when I was a kid and I had those friends who were really into it, I kind of played along because that was what we all did but i never really had the enthusiasm for it and i haven't played a video game in many 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 years
1: i think we caught the tail end of it you know we were we were Litlands in the 80s and uh it was it was big in the 80s and big in the 70s really because one that's when that uh culture really kind of found its way and also because it was before all of these other you know home consoles nintendo just came in in the 80s and what right, atari right. was out there but
0: yeah, well, I think in the 90s when I was at that age that, that all my friends were playing, I mean, it was huge with the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis. I mean, that was the thing that people were doing was playing those video games at home. So it was very prevalent, at least in the people that I hung out with.
1: To quote the great notorious B.I.G., Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, when I was slanging rocks, I couldn't picture this. I don't even know what that's supposed to
0: mean, but I'm glad you're bringing so many rap lyrics to this episode about nerdy white video gamers. Um, did you, so did you see this movie when it came out? Well, actually I think you and I saw it together. Did we? Um, yeah.
1: Cause Josh gets uh because he's a film reviewer, he gets a lot of uh, um, screeners. Oscar screeners yeah, yeah. and, you know, just kind of promo yes. DVDs, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And I think we, we both knew about this going in. Yeah. And I think we watched it together. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that was my memory of it, and um, it hurts very much that you don't
0: remember. I'm sorry. No, I do remember. <laughs> I looked up in my in my logging of films, and I did watch this on a screener, so I, it's entirely possible, you're right, that we watched yeah. it together and saw it. And I guess it, it might have opened in theaters here in Las Vegas, but I didn't see it in a theater. I did not either. Yeah. Uh, but I liked it at the time, and I remember you liked it a lot. I think you were you were the one really enthusiastic about doing an episode on this film, and I think uh, you were a big fan at the time it came out. I
1: was a big fan,
0: and I would say at the
1: time um, there weren't as many kind of kitschy niche documentaries, or at least not that I was aware of. Yeah. So this really kind of opened up uh, a different a different world of uh, documentary filmmaking, and in my case watching
0: yes (laughs) so uh any other background uh details that you wanted to mention on this film okay what
1: what i think is interesting is the same year that this came out at slam dance i believe at sundance there was another video game documentary that came out called chasing ghosts beyond the arcade i'm not familiar with that one. and walter day was also in that one uh the referee who started the twin galaxies record books and arcade and like what a what a heady time to be a video game referee that you're going to have a movie premiere at Sundance and Slamdance in yeah. the same
0: year. And surprisingly the Slamdance movie going on to be the one that was much bigger. I've definitely never heard of that. Right. Film.
1: That's the other. And, uh, some of the reviews I looked up, uh, said that this one was better. And some said that the chasing, um, chasing ghost was a better one. I tried to find chasing ghost cause I would have watched it. Because I care, guys. I want to do the right amount of research. I couldn't find it anywhere. No, I guess, it's not
0: streaming anywhere or on DVD or anything. Uh, not that
1: I saw. I think maybe you could rent it on Amazon, but okay. I no. care, but not four dollars. You, you don't yeah, it. you don't care that much, really. <laughs> no, no. So that was that was the um one um piece of background that I thought was interesting that we didn't talk about.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. And like you said, there was <laughs> There was this wave of niche documentaries, I think, around that time and certainly from there. So it doesn't entirely surprise me that there was another video game documentary at the time. And I'm sure there have been a lot of them since then.
1: Um, Oh, yeah, there's plenty. And I I think when we talk about the influences, we'll kind of probably run through at least one of them.
0: Yeah, we can do that. And uh, for now, though, we'll come right back and we'll talk about our general thoughts on The King of Kong. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year and our episode discussing The King of Kong, our documentary pick for 2007, which I think we both liked.
1: I did like it. Uh, it, it held up remarkably well, I thought, uh, all these years later. All
0: these 12 years later. 12 years
1: later. But you know, you think like with as much as technologies change, changed, did this become outdated? But the classics never die, baby.
0: Yeah. And uh, this is a classic doc about a classic video game. It is well that is I think one of the things is in in terms of technology is that even when this came out in 2007 the stuff that they were playing the, the stuff that they cared about was already outdated. I mean they're playing these arcade cabinets from the 1980s. It was certainly old technology in 2007 just as it is now. But what a gold mine of
1: characters that Seth Gordon came across like if you have the riches of these kind of oddball characters you just got to leave a camera on maybe, you know, once or twice, say, hey, say it this way. And then, you know, you got yourself a fine film there. Yeah. Um, The, uh the good guy, bad guy situation. You couldn't have cast any better. Billy Mitchell. uh, He, uh, I saw this quote where he said that he didn't realize he was going to be portrayed as the villain, but he really seemed to lean into that villain role like the entire time. And Steve Wiebe is like the, the innocent I'm just trying to get by you know so uh, I thought that main conflict was just you couldn't have cast it any better
0: yeah I agree and I think he does lean into if not the villain role I think it doesn't surprise me necessarily that he says he didn't think he would be portrayed as the villain because what he leans into from his perspective is probably the like confident champion and it comes across as villainous but he just thinks he's a cool dude he's like a, a wrestler or something like that with bravado but not villainy he's a real hot shot he is a real hot shot and yeah. that's clearly how he sees himself i mean and that's that's how he styles himself from his ridiculous mullet haircut to his go america ties that he wears i, I don't even think it's a mullet
1: as much as like a 1980s kind of southern rock like he could be in 38 special yeah, or something yeah yeah like yeah i could see that but yeah he does wear the wacky ties and um you know, I like he's got so many just quotes about how good he is all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, one that I saw that wasn't in the movie was he had set a record in 1983 um, with another gamer called Chris Ira, where they reached the uh, 256 level of Pac-Man on a split screen. And uh, Billy Mitchell said that he had achieved perfection.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the best line and and I we we talked about this after we watched the movie again this week when he says that he's like the abortion debate and that's how controversial he is. And that no matter what your opinion is on him, you're going to get, uh, you you know, you're going to get crap for it because that's, he's such a contentious personality. And the idea that he's comparing himself to this incredibly, uh, difficult political issue. is is hilarious. That would, that is a little
1: weird. Do you think like today he'd be like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, you know, what I am is, uh, like a border wall. You know, whatever you fall on this side yeah, of me, you're gonna maybe. Although,
0: really, he could continue just using that abortion uh, metaphor because it's still certainly relevant. That is true. I uh, I like this quote too that uh, he says in the movie about
1: why he uh, always wants to be the greatest. He says, "When you're not the lead dog, the view doesn't change." And I wanted the view.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that that bit about the lead dog, I think, is a cliche that a lot of people say. But yeah, I mean he is he is the villain but he's also very entertaining i think the movie wouldn't work without him and his presence and the way that he builds himself up it's just like you said
1: it's like a I mean whether it's a wrestler or a ufc fighter you you pay money to see the bad guy go down right, right you want right. you want to see rocky beat drago or whoever it yeah. is you know uh that's rocky for everybody Thank you. Um, or in the new, the, the double new one, right? Creed 2. Creed 2. Yeah, yeah there's there some
0: Dragos go. in that as well. Yes. So
1: uh, he is a bad guy and he is the most charismatic person in there. Right. Um, and, um, you know, it's just that they keep piling up all these obstacles against Steve Weeby, who like broke the record in his house. And then they were like, you know, you couldn't have broken the record. And they send like Billy Mitchell's minions to like check and see if everything was above board. And the Billy Mitchell is somehow a certified official. Right. In addition you. to
0: a competitor, yeah, right. it's a lot of conflict of interest going on in yeah. this video game world.
1: Yeah. They really like, so the, the thing is this love for Billy Mitchell wasn't just through Billy Mitchell. It was, he had like a whole posse of acolytes and even uh, Walter day at one point, um, you know, he says, uh, he says, if anyone could break Billy Mitchell's score in the next 24 hours, Billy Mitchell will uh, personally pay them $10,000. And then he just adds, and we know Billy Mitchell can pay these promises too. Like right, yeah. To be
0: done. They're kind of in awe of Billy Mitchell, who, yeah. who we should say is also a very successful businessman. He runs this hot sauce company. And so he's like double cocky. Not only is he this video game champion, but... Uh, like sort of opposed to what we think of as the stereotype and what a lot of these other people represent is these loser nerds living in a basement or something. Yeah. He's a very wealthy, successful business owner. With the, with the hot wife and the right. tight clothing yes. and everything, yes. you yes. know?
1: Um, he is. And you could, I guess he's charismatic. Like he, he is. is very charismatic. So, and he's done so many TV appearances, the tonight show and this and that, and you could see why he is, I mean, that they built the the competitive arcade gaming industry on his back. He held a lot of records as well.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, obviously he holds these records and he's very good, but I think his charisma and his personality is a big reason why he becomes this representative of the community, as opposed to some of these other guys that we meet who are clearly super awkward and weird looking and not charismatic at all. Let's talk
1: about some of those guys. Yes. Uh, There's a... What is his name? Brian Kerr Brian? Koo. Yes. Who is another, like, he's one of the acolytes that they sent, that Billy and the team sent to Steve Weeby's house to, like, disqualify him. So Steve Weeby uh, at the Fun Spot tournament, like, goes nuts. He breaks the world record and he gets to a Donkey Kong kill screen, which is the last screen and it's not a full screen. You can play it for, like, a little and then it just destroys. And uh, Brian Koo is so heartbroken, right? I thought I was going to be the guy to get to the... Uh, kill screen but uh it looks like it looks like steve's gonna do it so um and then he just like just trips off right yeah that that (laughs) whole
0: sequence is sort of a tragedy for him because you can see before he says that, he's going around to all the other people in the arcade, telling them, oh, the kill screen is coming up. You should, you want to look at it. So he gets this giant crowd around Steve Wiebe, which clearly he thinks is going to psych Steve Wiebe out right. and make him not succeed. And then you see the interview with Steve Wiebe when he says, oh, you know, my energy was kind of flagging, but then this whole crowd came around me and it really boosted me up and I was able to do it. And so this uh, Brian Koo, he kind of screws himself over he achieves the opposite of what he means to achieve and it's it's like this little tragedy in miniature in just those few scenes as that plays out for this secondary character in the movie it's
1: very strange and you know he he refers to him he's a, he says at one point like i forget what he called it. he said something like if billy mitchell's the legend then i guess i'm the prodigy and it's like, right really? do, you, do you did anyone else call you that no, or are you just saying, no, uh, you no, know? no 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 um but he's always on the phone is Billy Mitchell never shows up to these tournaments, which right. is a big thing. Steve Weeby's always calling him out in an incredibly friendly manner. I think, you know, like uh st- we'll get to Steve Weeby's like kind of second there, the villain and his corner man, uh, Roy Schilt,
0: Right. Oh yeah. Mr. Awesome. Yeah. Mr. Yes. Awesome.
1: Uh, who's a real good like counter puncher to Billy Mitchell, like a he villain, is. an anti-villain, right? I kind
0: of so. almost wanted more of him in the movie. I mean, you don't, you have to I think Seth Gordon has to show only what he can show and and Roy Schultz doesn't show up at any of these tournaments because he is tarnished or whatever yeah. and Bill and, and Steve Weeby doesn't want him to come in and create more conflict. But that that bit where they show his like, I don't even know what you would call it, like pickup artist home video that he created. Th- I mean, there's, you call it, yeah. there's so much to him that is not in this movie. And it makes you think, oh, man. I would watch a whole movie about that guy.
1: Yeah, he in that, where he does call himself Mr. Awesome. He what is that quote? He says something like no one ever got a gnarly piece of tank from being nice or yeah, something, something like, like that. that. <laughs> I mean, it's
0: very much the kind of thing that you hear from these pickup artists nowadays. He was maybe ahead of his time with this sort of thing. Although
1: none of us are able to you know, really define if he was ever good at picking up well,
0: anybody. right. yeah, that's true. and and I think the movie implies that he probably was not. um and that goes to what I was saying before about they show so much of the like pathetic sides of these people that, yeah, sure. Seth Gordon let the camera run, and they said the words that they said. But you know how documentary filmmaking works, and there's hundreds of hours of footage that you have to edit right. down and I really do feel like there are parts of this movie that are edited specifically so that we as viewers can laugh at these guys
1: I think you're right because there are times where we said like Brian Coos calling Billy Mitchell uh, from the tournament and it's like the next day but Billy Mitchell's still in the same shirt as the day before so it's uh, you know dramatic effect and even uh, Billy Mitchell and Steve Wiebe said like they're not mortal enemies in real life. That was just heightened for the for the documentary. But right. But heck, it worked. Out no, there. it
0: does work. I mean, it's a very, very entertaining film and it's very well constructed. But I do think there are moments where, at least for me, I was taken out of it a little, kind of wondering, okay, how was this constructed? Or like you said, things where this interview bit is obviously from not around the same time as what they just showed, but it's been juxtaposed in order to give you that funny moment or that, uh, twist kind of moment. You know, the thing that works so well beyond the characters though, is you really want to
1: see this showdown and because Billy Mitchell keeps ducking it and they keep like letting him slide by, it just gives you this, Oh, like, come on, Billy Mitchell, prove you're a man, you know, or a champion of sorts. Cause, um, they take away Weeby's like, uh, score when he videotaped, when he sent in the videotape. And then Billy Mitchell sends in the videotape and the other referees like this could take, you know, a week for us to verify. And then Walter Day, like three minutes later, is like, I think this is a good score. I'm going to put it on the Internet right, right now. Right. So, They're
0: clearly all hoodwinked by Billy Mitchell all right. the way up to that level until they catch him cheating. You've tarnished
1: yourself, Billy Mitchell. Yeah. Shame on you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, the end and the end, Weeby gets the records back. So that's. Spoiler alert, but it's a nice ending. and Right. But do you think what I wanted to ask you is now all these years later, neither of them have the record. Like right. uh, Billy Mitchell actually did beat it again, like in a real tournament, I think. So he did prove like he's legit. Uh, maybe he just had to fall off the mountain to climb it again. Yeah. But then Weeby beat him again. But currently I think it's, and then a few other guys, you know. Won.
0: Yeah. There's other other people who hold the records and, and Weeby and Mitchell are both sort of further down. On the charts for Donkey right. Kong and I guess Donkey Kong Jr. Is right. Is the other one that they were competing in.
1: Right. And at this time it was, you know, who can get to a million? The, the million was the big score. Right now the uh, record is held by Robbie Lakeman who has a 1,247,700 score.
0: Yeah. But was he the star of a documentary? I don't think so. Dave? No, he wasn't. We don't need to look that up. I don't think so. Yeah. Dave, did you watch this movie? <sighs> I, I such
2: a big gamer and i've never watched this movie. what the heck man i know it's very strange. you go to the gym why don't you just pop it on the ipad when you're doing your cardio bro i, I actually thought about it just yesterday he thought about You thought it? about yeah, thought thought it something.
0: That it's the thought that, that counts that th- no it is not you <laughs> know what this no. is
1: a this is this actually did happen to me you know we've mentioned my daughter scarlet her mom we're, we're still friendly and uh one time she goes uh hey i thought you were coming over for dinner last night I go, well, "Well, you never invited me." And she goes, "Well, I meant to. It's the thought that counts." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> it's the dinner that counts. Yeah. The thought didn't fill my belly with deliciousness." So
0: <laughs> that no, that is true, obviously. You should watch it cuz it's a good movie. And I've and, always wanted to. It's been one of those movies that just keeps
2: escaping me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, if only there was some impetus for you to have seen it. <laughs> I, like, I, know. I know. Maybe you were producing a podcast where they were doing a full episode on it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. We will forgive Dave. Um, but it is a good movie that uh, that I think hold, like you said, it, it holds up, even though maybe other people have overtaken these records and the specific competition between Steve Wiebe and Billy Mitchell is not currently ongoing or not really relevant to the current records that people hold. It's still fascinating to watch in this movie. And part of what Seth Gordon does well with that selective editing is he creates a lot of suspense where you're wondering who's going to beat who and is Steve Wiebe going to get the high score and what's going to happen. And there's sort of a countdown, especially in that final tournament where they're trying to set the world record and they only have a certain amount of time in order to do it. So I think in that sense, Gordon does a really good job of constructing this movie.
1: Yeah, almost like a narrative film where every time you give the protagonist one step up, you take two steps back with him. And uh, so he keeps running into obstacle after obstacle. But you know what else I found interesting was all these Billy Mitchell like lovers, uh, the lovers of Billy Mitchell, the LBM, if you will. No, society. I won't. I won't. So, <laughs> um, they all at the end they're all like, you know what, Weeby. You're really, a, you're the salt of the earth, Weeby. We're, we're with you too. You're
0: yeah. Amazing. And you can see that that scene where Billy Mitchell and I think his name is Steve Sanders. Yeah. Not but, Steve Sanders from 90210. No, no Iron on this one. Uh, although he looks a little like Iron Ziering, actually. Yeah. We could get Iron Ziering to play him in the in the narrative film version of this. Or
1: movie. we could get Steve Sanders to play Steve Sanders. In, we could do in that. 90210.
0: But he's Billy Mitchell's kind of right hand man. He himself is also a video game champion in another game. Yeah, but he was he, working on the Joust record. There the you go. It was Joust. Yeah and he's a lawyer and he's really Billy's guy in the corner and there's a scene at the end of the movie where him and Billy are sitting side by side somewhere in a restaurant or something and he says what you just said basically that Steve weeby is a good guy he's completely on the level he's done great work and he's just a good person and you can see Billy Mitchell giving him this look like what the hell man you're out.
1: Yeah Billy Mitchell just goes well I don't really know him so I couldn't say Yeah
0: anything, like that Mariah Carey I don't know her.
1: He says uh he goes he says I want uh Steve Sanders says when I was when I was young, I wanted to be Steve Wiebe when I grew up as a gamer or
0: something. Right, yeah, lines. he's Steve Wiebe as the gamer he always wanted to be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then Walter Day sends that whole email, kind of apologizing for them not taking him seriously. And he really does come out on top of this movie, even if he doesn't get the high score. Yeah, you know what does not come out on top of this movie? Walter Day's folk singing. Yeah. <laughs> but
1: he, he, there's like a weird subplot about. Uh, how he wants to be a folk singer, and I looked it up. He used to be a ragtime piano player. That's awesome. Which is kind of awesome. Yeah. But uh, as far as his folk music goes, I I didn't.
0: No, and that's another one of those moments yeah. where it, it clearly didn't need to be in the movie, and you can um, you can tell Seth Gordon when he was filming that thinking, oh, this is comedy gold right here. This guy just has this folk song about video games. We got to throw that yeah. in so people can I laugh. At it. Wanted, I would
1: have wanted. Hey hey, uh, Walter Day, you're no Joan Baez. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but I would have, I would have too, because it's so weird. Like that, that's like, I'm going to retire from being a video game referee to pursue my dream of being a folk singer. That's not a, you know, well, that's
0: right? A- it is weird. And I'm sure he must, he must have a, a job. Like he says he's retiring from being a video game referee, but I can't imagine being a video game referee is like an actual professional. Oh, he owns that twin galaxies arcade. Is it an arcade or, I, or I thought it was just like the name of his organization. I think
1: it's some of everything. Okay.
0: Yeah. And he's still around. I was wondering about you know how many people in this movie are uh, we see at the end of the movie the the old Lady Kubert champion. Yeah, Doris, she died. Yeah, right? she died right after the movie was made. But uh, I believe Walter Day is still still kicking, still available for the King of Kong, too, if they decide to make that. Well, we can
1: talk about that in our next section, the influence of this film,
0: because yeah. there was some
1: rumors about a sequel to this film.:
0: There was, so uh, we can get to that unless you have any other final thoughts on the quality of this movie it's it's high quality it is high quality well we should let's rate let's rate it out of uh out of what five five donkey kongs five, five barrels
1: barrels yeah, yeah. That they throw to kill the kill the, mario the mario yeah, yeah. So. jump
2: man you mean jump man
1: oh yeah he, 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 he didn't was, he wasn't he was named jump mario man. yet he became oh. mario
2: after king uh Donkey Kong. Yeah, um, they
1: didn't give him a name yet. Mm-hmm. I feel like Jumpman would be like a good Hong Kong action movie mm, franchise. Starring, starring
0: Jackie Chan.
1: <laughs> Jackie Chan is Jumpman. Yeah, or, or Tony Zhao. Or sure, sure. I don't know. I give it uh, four. Four barrels. Four barrels. Yeah. yeah. It's really a fun, breezy, easy to watch uh, film. And if
0: you are producing
1: a podcast where they're going to talk about it, you could easily watch this film.
0: Uh, I give it a three three and a half barrels out of four. I think I didn't like it quite as much as you did, but I agree it's breezy, it's fun, it's easy to watch, it's very entertaining. Certainly the best movie that Seth Gordon ever made. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll talk that uh, and more when we come back and talk about the legacy of the King of Kong. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year and our 2007 episode on the documentary The King of Kong. And we're going to look a little at the legacy of this movie, which was a pretty influential movie, I think we could say. I think it
1: definitely was. And uh, it's permeated pop culture in ways we might not uh, originally have thought about when it came
0: out. Yes, that that is true. There are representatives of this movie in uh, in all sorts of odd places. Right. So the the most famous is probably Mr. Litlack
1: in Wreck It Ralph the um the arcade referee. Oh,
0: okay. Yeah, actually I hadn't even thought about that, but that's a good point. Yeah. And uh, and he wears the does he wear the referee yeah, outfit? He wears yeah. the jersey and yeah. he's an
1: older man and uh
0: yeah, that's I hadn't thought about it in Wreck It Ralph, but I think that's absolutely right. That that character does look a lot like Walter Day. And of course the the old school arcade game subculture is a huge part of of what they show in Wreck-It Ralph, right, and is a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and uh, some of those characters do have fistfuls
1: of quarters. I bet.
0: Yeah, they probably do, and uh, maybe seeing the King of Kong brought back the old school arcade culture. Uh, the the movie, the pop culture movie that that I thought of most immediately was Pixels, uh, which was uh, directed by. It was directed by Chris Columbus, but it was produced by Seth Gordon, right um and uh peter dinklage plays a character a video game champion a very cocky video game champion who's clearly based on billy mitchell right and steve weeby actually has a cameo in pixels as like a scientist or something like that well, that's exciting and
1: uh did you see ready you did see ready player one i
0: did see ready player one yeah well the author was... of uh, the novel yeah uh, ernest, ernest Klein. Cline yes
1: uh said he was heavily influenced by Twin Galaxies and Walter Day. Huh. Um, so that's just uh and Billy Mitchell as well. Right. So now we're, you know, kind of Spielberg and then crappy Adam Sandler movie, and then Wreck and Ralph. So it's Yeah, cool. it's
0: a whole range of things. And just I feel like even people who haven't seen this movie are familiar with now this archetype of the Billy Mitchell type, the kind of cocky. Video game champion who takes himself way too seriously and has a weird haircut. Do
1: you guys have any? Because there have been so many documentaries about video games and video game culture since this came out. Do you, uh, since this one came out, yes, do
0: you have any that you've seen or that you would recommend? I don't know if I've seen any other video game documentaries. I mean, I'm not a big gamer as we established. So for for me to watch a video game documentary, it would have to be something like this that's highly acclaimed just as a documentary. So I can't think of any off the top of my head.
2: Yeah, me neither. But I would say that the, the Console Wars adaptation that's coming out probably, I, I'm sure everybody involved in that loves this movie.
1: The one I saw was uh, Man vs. Snake, the long and twisted tale of Nibbler. <laughs> uh, which um we all used to play on our is that the cell phone oh, yeah. game? Yeah, uh well, yeah, we used to play it on our TI eighty. Oh yeah, on 85. the calculator. Yeah, but uh so this one what's kind of cool is the the nibbler champion, you know, in the and Walter Day's in this, by the way. Um he this is 2015, this movie came out, you know. Back in the day, he was like cool 18-year-old hunky dude, midwestern, you know, corn fed athlete and now he's like a fat guy at a factory and he's like i am gonna come out every time and, and win my title back and it's an interesting it's an interesting documentary i remember enjoying that
0: one. yeah does he win
1: his title back i don't remember i don't think he does okay. but um you know josh you only
0: fail if you don't try that is so true yeah. um yeah i wasn't i didn't think of any particular video game documentaries but i just think the the kind of niche culture Documentaries, whether that's something like Spellbound or Word Wars or whatever, these movies that take seriously these nerdy subcultures really were proliferating around the time of The King of Kong and I think continued to do even more so. I mean, Netflix just has this endless appetite for documentaries about any random weird thing. And so they've exploded even more recently, I think.
1: Yeah, I've watched a lot of them. Yeah, so. <laughs> including uh, this
0: Nibbler one. Yeah, I, I, I probably
1: did see it on Netflix. Yeah.
0: You know, one other
1: interesting fact about the influence of this film is that the special features on the DVD were part of Billy Mitchell's downfall on his records. They used some of the footage from the special features to show uh, that he cheated when he sent in the
0: video of uh his new world record so
1: yeah you flew too close to the sun billy
0: mitchell i guess so yeah his his records were invalidated but not until 2018 it took that long for them to determine that the videotapes he sent in were made with uh an emulator and not on an actual arcade cabinet so took a while to get there i hope you enjoyed your life at the top billy mitchell and now he's in prison for that (laughs) <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Enjoy your cell with Bernie Madoff Mitchell. uh But I think, like you were saying earlier, he did eventually come back and set some records in live play. So it's not, despite the fact that he's a villain in this movie, he is actually a very, very good video guy. And he writer. had the original records, which they right. all saw him when he's
1: an inch. Uh, look, uh, he's a good character. Like you could be a guy
0: who books a TV show and be like, "Yeah, we should have Billy Mitchell on," and you would do well for yourself as a right. Booker. Yeah, I mean, and like you said before, he was on a lot of talk shows and he did have a lot of appeal. And as much as Steve Wiebe is the hero of this movie, I feel like having Steve Wiebe on your talk show would be much no, less interesting.
1: No, he fits in pixels, I guess. I didn't see it.
0: Right? Yeah, I did see it, although I don't remember his appearance. And also, it is a very bad. Movie. No, but let's talk about uh,
1: Seth Gordon now. Oh, because God. yeah. when this came out, I thought, like, man, this guy's awesome. Like, I thought he would stick to documentaries and do some really cool stuff. Right. And now he's working mostly in TV, a lot of the Goldbergs and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: And he's made so many really bad comedy movies. Is it so many? I mean, it's more than one. Uh, Four Christmases, Horrible Bosses, Identity Thief, the Baywatch movie starring Zac Efron and The Rock. Those are all really bad movies.
1: Yeah. I don't like any of them. It, when you when you get a list in Horrible Bosses is the best one on there. Yeah.
2: That's
1: a problem. <laughs> He, do, he did say, because I always ask him about a sequel about this, that he wanted to do as a sequel, which would be kind of interesting, a narrative version that picks up where this leaves off. So it would be actors playing these characters after the documentary came out and kind of how it affected their life and, or their lives. And right. uh, I would really like to see him screw that project up.
0: Right. I was just going to say, I don't trust him to make a good narrative film after seeing what he's done since this. And yeah, it's disappointing because he seemed like a very promising documentary filmmaker. Uh, I mean, like we mentioned, or one of those reviews mentioned, he was also the cinematographer and the editor of this film. He's clearly, it's clearly his film and he puts it together really, really well. And I don't know why he never bothered to make another documentary. Maybe all that Hollywood money was too good to pass up, but it's a shame.
1: It's a bummer. I I think even now, like let's, what, what interests you, Seth Gordon? besides selling your soul.
0: I think that is the main thing. Somebody make a documentary about Seth Gordon and what happened to him.
1: Uh or a documentary of all the fighting on uh, the set of Four Christmases which yeah. is legendary oh, for is that. it? yeah. Yeah, uh you know the story is Reese Witherspoon is very by the book. Yeah. You know, script actor and then uh and Vince Vaughn is uh, doesn't you don't have a script with Vince Vaughn. He just does what he does. and The two of them clashed a lot. Yeah. Um, in 2014, did you know they made a musical? They've stage made musical. multiple musicals out of this. I was looking. This up. is a perfect idea for a stage musical. You could see it in your head. The musical numbers, the, the uh, costumes, the way you can translate kind of like game movements into dance pieces. I think I'm surprised this hasn't caught on as a bigger musical.
0: Right. Well, this I was actually looking up a lot about the musical versions because there is uh, King of Kong, a musical parody, which is probably what you're thinking of, that was created in 2014 by uh, Amber Ruffin and Lauren Von Kroen. And that was a thing that played a lot of like fringe festivals, and the two of them played all the roles, the two women. So it was clearly uh, a parody. It doesn't have any of those elements that you were saying, but it was very well-reviewed. And it actually uh, came to Vegas in 2015 at the Onyx Theater, and I did not see it.
1: I didn't either, but uh, I'm glad to know that there's still room for my version
0: in my head. Yeah, there is. Well, because... Also, there is King of Kong, the unauthorized musical that was created at the UCB Theater in LA, uh, which you can download the soundtrack of online. And Seth Gordon has said that he is going to be producing the stage musical. So that will probably be more like what you were talking
1: about. That'd be that. I think, you know, uh, we've we've already ripped him enough, but I think he could (laughs) do well with that one.
0: Yeah, I think so, too. I think of all the ways that Seth Gordon could. Uh, follow this movie up. That might be the one that w- he would not screw up, because presumably he would just oversee a version created by people who know what they're doing with stage productions. Yeah. It's clearly Julie Taymor's. Yes, yeah, something like that, With giant, like uh, Lion King esque <laughs> costumes yeah. of arcade Centipedes cabinets and yes. you know. That would be awesome. So maybe we'll see that. I think it was like 2017 that he claimed he was working on that. And obviously it's never come to fruition yet. barrels have personalities and
1: feelings that we're not
0: just here to kill jump men. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And he did also say that it would include Walter Day's folk song. So that. It should. yeah. It should include a Walter Day folk song. Um, One other random thing that I wanted to mention is that Steve Wiebe in 2009 released a Christian album called The King of Song. That's true. Contemporary Christian music. Yeah. So that's one thing that he can be mocked for. You know, he comes off very well, but I think we can mock his Christian album called The King of Song. Well, um, like Billy Mitchell. I haven't listened to it. Yeah, so no, I haven't either, but just its existence. It can't be any worse than a Lifehouse album, can it? I mean, it probably can, but we'll never know because we're not going to listen to it. There is nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other thoughts on uh, the legacy of the King of Kong?
1: I think we've pretty much covered it, but um, you know, it's it's something you can watch with people who... Maybe don't even care about documentaries. It's so much fun to watch. Yeah. Um. And so I think that's why it lives on. People know this movie because it kind of transcended the genre that it was in. And um, you know, this is the type of thing that if Netflix was in 2007, what it is today, they would have
0: salivated. For oh this yeah. Movie, so. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And they might have said, "Let's make this into a six-part series <laughs> no, instead." Right. You know, uh. w-
2: one other thing I was thinking, you guys kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, and it could just be timing related, but the esports tournaments really did blow up right after this movie. And I, I feel like it did have a little bit to do with it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, most esports tournaments are more modern video games as mm. opposed to like Donkey Kong. But sure. yeah, the idea of spectators gathering around to see elite video game players did and take off. And knowing
2: their names and
1: everything like right. that. Right. Yeah. 20 years when someone does like the Fortnite documentary. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ugh, Fortnite was this video game that was really all the rage in 2018 and 19. <laughs>
0: yeah but but yeah like you were talking about twitch too i mean that's probably all part of the legacy here is the idea of video gamers as as stars and people wanting to watch them play and and achieve these amazing feats in video games is a big thing right now and a lot of a lot of money billy mitchell should he should be on twitch why is he not he should totally take advantage of that i think he played once like he did like one live live
1: dealio on twitch at one point in time but yeah he should. And he should also have videos giving uh, hair tips. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hair's
1: pretty, that blowout's nice. It's impressive. You know? It's yeah.
0: something. <laughs> it's definitely noticeable. Uh, so that is the King of Kong. And that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Follow us on social media. We're on all those socials, guys. You like, uh, you like Facebook,
1: you find <laughs> us on the Awesome Movie Year. You're an Instagram person, you find us on the Awesome Movie Year. Now here's the twist. If you're a Twitter person, you go to Awesome Movie Pod. And finally, www.awesomemovieyear.com. As for me, I'm Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy on all of them. And Gopher Jason is my website.
0: You can find me on Twitter at Signal Bleed and on Facebook at Josh Bell Hates Everything, as well as Josh Bell Hates and listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You can find it at piecingpod.com and on the social
2: medias at piecingpod. And join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where there's a whole bunch of people that probably seem like they could have come right out of this movie.
1: <laughs> hey, Dave, uh, in your podcast, the Piecing It Together, it's, it's about movies, right? Sure. Do you, do you watch the
2: movies? I, I watch some movies. Some movies. Okay, okay. <laughs> Just wondering.
1: Uh,
0: what do we have next
1: time? Hey, Jason? it's a Josh Bell pick for next week. Um, and it is, I would say, a little hidden gem in there in the Noah Baumbach canon, a little film called Margo at the Wedding.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that because I think we uh, both were intrigued to add that in. So tune in for Margo at the Wedding on our next episode. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year.
2: Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts.
1: And all points west.